Well, we actually just came up on a big anniversary. Um, it wasn't my, my wife and I's or wedding anniversary. Actually, it was the church anniversary. For those of you who have been here for a while, you, you might already know this, but we I just crossed over the three-year mark. Woohoo! Made it three years. And who knew that we were even going to make it this long? I, I probably didn't, but um, I'm, I'm glad that we did. Uh, how many of you have actually just... Just a shout out. How many of you have been here from the very beginning? Raise your hand from four, almost four years ago. I've got a few of you here that have been here from the, almost the very, very beginning. And uh, people, um, obviously, that have been here since then. Well, three years in, or actually four years ago, my wife and I moved here to Greenville with this uh, vision in our hearts that God had, only God had placed there, that we would start a church. And... Um, everybody I talked to uh, was like, why in the world would you come to Greenville, South Carolina, Simpsonville, South Carolina? And my answer is this. It's only because of God. It really was. I did not know one person in Simpsonville when we moved here. Uh, we, it really was ordained by God that we, um, I came up here for a, a church conference in the area up in Taylor's. And I met a guy who lived in Clinton. Uh, I didn't know anything good could come out of Clinton. Um, but, but this guy uh, was an incredible guy. His name was Griffin Campbell. For those of you who were here long enough to know him, he was the first person that we met. And uh, while we were at this church conference here, God had already been stirring my heart that we were supposed to start a church. I was a youth pastor at a church in Florida. And God had said, you need to go and, and, and start a church. And, and I said, God, I don't know where. I don't know what type of church. I don't know what you're doing. Um, but God led us to uh, this place. And when I met this, met this guy, we began to talk about the area. It really was just, just strange. And, and if you haven't ever experienced this, and you won't understand, but it was this, this weird parting of the clouds where God just, um, not audibly, but um, in my heart, spoke to me and said, I want you and your family to pack up and move here to Simpsonville in the Greenville area and start a church. And I, and I, so it was four years ago that we moved here, but three years ago that we had actually officially launched the church. And so pretty exciting anniversary. And I just wanted to take some time today uh, for those of you who got an email this week. Uh, you, you thought we were going to be starting a series on the Song of Solomon. We're actually going to start that next week because Labor Day weekend, a lot of our people are out. I wanted it to, to us to um, be able to have everybody here for that um, for the start of that series. It's going to be unbelievable. I've been studying this week, and God's already kicking me in the pants, and I'm thinking, man, I better change how I live before I preach this thing. i got to start being nicer to my wife because, um, man, this is a, a convicting, a very convicting book. So I'm excited about sharing that with you guys uh, next week as we uh, launch six weeks in the, in the Song of Solomon. But, but today, I, I felt like God really wanted me to just to, to tell you about why we started this church and share with you the, the vision of, of the church. But, and, and really, this is not just a vision of the church thing. This is a, this is a vision, um, God's vision for, for you. And so this is God's vision for, for my life. This is God's vision uh, for your life because it comes straight out of his word. When we were getting ready to start, uh, we're thinking about starting the church. I was thinking, what in the world am I going to name it? I had these friends who were starting really cool churches, and they were. It was called like the Journey and Life Church and New Life. And I was like, man, those are, those are all really cool names. And so I was trying to think of something cool. I was like, Evergreen. That sounds cool. And then like everybody I talked to, they're like, that's the stupidest name I've ever heard in my life, Jay. I'm like, no, Evergreen. That's cool, isn't it? They're like, no, that's stupid. And so I was just praying, thinking, God, what what do you want uh, us to name? your church because it's not my church this 
is your church. If I name it Evergreen, nobody's going to come. So, um, so I was, I was reading, uh, and God brought me to this passage. No joke. I was laying in my bed. He brought me to this passage in John chapter 4. And it's the story of the woman at the well. And if, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's this uh, very, very famous passage about a woman who encounters Jesus at a well. And she's, um, she's drawing water, and Jesus is there getting water too. And Jesus says something extremely significant to her, and I want to read that to you in verse 13 through 14. Um, she's talking about uh, water, and Jesus says this to her, verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water, talking about the water from this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And when I read the story of the woman at the well, God just gave me this picture of uh, a well in, in a community uh, where these people from all over the village are, are coming to gather this life-giving source of water. And, and I really felt like God said, this is the type of church I want you to have. I want you to be a, a wellspring of life for, for the community. And not just for, just for Simpsonville, but ultimately for, for the world that we would begin to spread new wells uh, all over the area. That we would have places of life that don't just give physical water, but give uh, the water that only Jesus can give. Which swells up to new life, springs up to new life, eternal life in Him. And so it was this, so I said, I asked my buddies and I was like, hey, what do you think about the well? And they're like, dude, that's way cooler than evergreen. So there it was. Here here we go. Uh, It's the well. So um, one of the things that, you know, I've, I didn't know how in the world that we would start a church. I mean, we're, my wife and I, we're true church planters. We parachute dropped in here is what they sometimes will say. It's like we were dropped off in a plane. We didn't know anybody and we just began to build relationships and began to plant a new a, a new church, and um, how do you do that? I mean, isn't it, it sounds almost impossible? And in many ways, it is. Uh, but I want to show you something that Jesus promises in Matthew 16. And this is Jesus encountering Peter. This is really, I feel like, the the birthplace of the New Testament church. And it begins with Jesus in a conversation he has with Peter. In verse 15, uh, Jesus is speaking. He says, but what about you? Speaking to Peter. He he says, who do you say that I am? He's asking Jesus, who do you think that that I really am? And and Peter says this, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's the nice way of saying hell, for those of you who don't know what Hades is. Sorry. So um, he says, Jesus says, listen, you've been re- it's been revealed to you, God has revealed to you that not only am I just this good guy, but I'm the very Son of God, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior. And it was God that revealed it, and then Jesus says some, something significant. He says, I'm going to build my church. So I begin to ask, who's responsible for building this church? Is it me? The Bible says that Jesus is responsible for building the church, that he, only He can do what He can do. Only God can convict people of sin. For those of you who are sitting here, you've, you've had probably moments where you felt like God maybe was convicting you of something. Maybe you might call that um, Jiminy Cricket, your conscious or something. I don't know. But I believe that God speaks to us and God 
God uh, shares with us in our, in our heart and in our soul. Only God can do those things. I can't do that. Um, only God can reveal to you that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that Jesus is, is truly the, the Savior and the Messiah. Only he can do that. Um, only Jesus can do the spiritual work in this, in this church and in this community that we live in. Um, so it's his responsibility to do that. Well, what's my responsibility? In Matthew, in Matthew 20, Jesus says, I'm going to build the church. But then in Matthew 28, he gives the disciples a job. So if it's not, if he's going to, he's not, he's not, not that he's not going to do it all. We have a responsibility too. And in Matthew 28, he gives us that responsibility. He looks at his disciples and the many others that were there. Verse 18 it says, and Jesus said to them, or came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, that is not a message for pastors. That is not a verse for just church people. Um, that is not a uh, a, a, a scripture for Sunday school teachers and, and, and TV preachers. That is a passage for every person that would begin to be a Christian, that would follow Jesus. This is a call that every person who belongs to God, that they would be a person who would go and make disciples. They, and, and honestly, that's something that we can do. I can't, do, I can't convict someone of sin, but I can, I can make disciples. And make disciples just means this. It's kind of a churchy way of saying, we don't use that word disciple a lot anymore, but it's teaching someone with their life. See, a professor teaches someone with their words. They stand up in front of the class and they talk about science and they point to the board and they go, you see this picture? That's an atom. Okay? And, you know, and that's it. And so you, you leave that classroom and you walk away. And so you don't, the only thing you know is what they showed you on the board. And you just remember this weird guy said, look on the board. That's an atom. So that's all you know. But a disciple is someone who teaches someone with their life. You teach them with your words, but you also teach them with your, your actions and your life. And that's something that you're doing already anyway. You're teaching people with your life. If you have children, you're teaching your children with your life. Now, you might not be teaching them the right things, okay? But you're teaching them, right? And you're teaching your neighbors. I don't know what you're teaching them. You might not even recognize what you're teaching them, but you're teaching them with your life. And discipleship is teaching people with your life about Jesus, that you would live in such a way that people would know him um, by the way that you live and you would bring people into your life to walk through life with you so that they would, they would, they would know you too. So I just began to wrestle with these passages in starting a church and I said, God, I, I want to be able to, to put some type of slogan, some type of handles for us as a church as we get started to begin to... Um, just so that people would be able to grasp what we're doing very easily. You've probably heard this before. I came up with this between me and this guy Griffin. We came up with this three-word slogan that we've used since the very beginning. And it's just simply this, live, love, and serve. And I believe, and I'm going to teach you these three things today. And I'm going to talk about how the scripture calls us to, to do this. And the three things we just say at this, we say, live, the first one is just live for Jesus. In other words, the, the most important thing in your life is that you would have a relationship with Father. This, this says living for Jesus, when we say live, it has all to do with you and God. That's the spiritual stuff. Okay? It doesn't have 
it has it has implications of what happens out here, but we want to start between you and God. So as as a person, maybe you're here and you don't even know God. You need to know that the the greatest thing and the reason why you're you're here on this earth, the reason why you were born is that you might know your heavenly Father. That you might enjoy a relationship with him and find freedom in him and that one day when you die, you're going to live with him in eternity and heaven. That's ultimately your purpose is to know and to live for your heavenly Father. It is not to have Two and a half kids and a dog, okay, and have a job and a white picket fence. That's not your purpose in life, is to know your Heavenly Father. Where do we get this? Where do we find this, um, this call? It's, the great, it's called the Great Commandment. It's found in Matthew 22, verse 36 through, through 40. Um, but verse 36 says this. This guy was asking Jesus, this teacher, this church leader was asking Jesus about what the greatest commandment was. Jesus says, or here he says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now notice he didn't say, Don't drink, don't chew, don't dip, don't smoke, don't cuss, and you know, whatever you do, don't date girls who do. You know, that's, that's not what he said, Right? That's not what he said. He said, your number one, the greatest command of you as a person living on this earth, the, the most important thing that you could do is to love the Lord your God, to connect with your heavenly Father in such a way that you would have a personal relationship with Him, not a working relationship with Him, not with Him as boss, but with Him as Father. I struggle with that. I don't know if you do that. Um, I struggle with just, I'll bear my soul here. Um, I struggle with the relationship with Father as, as, as boss, as, okay, God is boss, so I just go do. Um, he doesn't say, the most important thing you can do is just do what I say. Most people view God that way because they had fathers like that. God, our Heavenly Father, is not that way. He says, the most important thing that you can do is love me, is n- know me, and is to surrender your life living for me. And if you can do that, then all the other stuff will come into place. For many of you, you, maybe you grew up in church hearing that the only thing that was important for you to do is to just be a good person or do the right thing because God had many rules for you. That is, that is not the case. The case is the, most, the most important rule that Jesus says you need to follow is to love him, to know him, and have a relationship with your heavenly father. If you don't have that, I don't understand how you could have any joy. You, you're, not, you're not living in the purpose that God created you to live. God didn't, live, didn't create you to be a worker ant, just to go and do, or to be a person who just behaves. Now, when you have kids, you say, um, their only job is not just to obey you, is it? Your ultimate desire for your children is that you would know them and have a relationship with them. And that they would mow the yard too. So, okay. So, I throw that in there. But, um, but that, that's why I had boys, was just so I could have somebody mow the yard. But, um, but no, you have children so that you might have a relationship with them and they might, you might know them, love them. And it, it doesn't take any work for you to love them. I mean, you loved them before they ever came, in, came out, right? It's not work for you to love them. It's not work for God to love you. Did you know that? It's not work for God to love you. But... Um, you want them to love you back. That's the relationship that we have with the Heavenly Father. And His greatest command is that, is that we would love Him, that we would experience His grace, experience His mercy, that we would have a relationship with Him. And so we say it this way, that we would live for Jesus. We would surrender our whole life in living for Him. 
And if you've never done that, we want you to do that. We want to be the type of church that um, loves broken people, that loves de-churched people, people who've been burned by the church. I mean, we're in the South, and most people have some type of experience with the church, whether it's good or bad. And, and I'm, I hate to say it, but a lot of it's been bad. A lot of people have been burned by the church. They've been hurt by Christians. Um, maybe they either were um, a friend of a person who was a Christian and they were lied to and cheated on or abused or something. Um, maybe they were lived in a family where a dad was, you know, went to church every day but then was a horrible father. I mean, this, this happens all the time. And, and people, they walk away burning. They think, well, God must be against me. The reality is God is not against you. He's for you. He wants you to know him. And so we say we want to start a church for people who are broken. So we've said this a lot, but we say um, that there are no perfect people allowed. So if there's any perfect people in the room, I'm sorry you're not allowed. You can leave now. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can leave. Um, so that's so that's what uh, that's what we say. But um, we we want to be a church that's just about grace, and we want to be people of grace. How many of you need grace? Anybody? Any, okay, thank you for admitting that. Uh, we want to be people of grace. But here's what God says: It's real easy. John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would have eternal life." They would not perish, but have eternal life in him. And so Jesus sent his son for people like us that need him. And Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, that, that he died for us. Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death. The penalty of our mistakes is death. But he says, but the gift of God is life, eternal life in Jesus, uh, our Lord. And so, so we, we want all of you to experience the grace, to live in grace, not to live in, we don't want to just preach rules here. We want people to live in grace and understand, live in relationship with God and, and, and begin to worship Him. Begin to worship Him with our life that we would begin to, to live for Him in every area of our life. And that's that surrender part. We begin to surrender to Him as Lord. We begin to place Him first in our life. We begin to, to place Him first in things like, um, our, our, we begin to pray, we begin to study, we begin to place Him first in our family, first in our finances and things like that. He just, that our life begins to, to be about a, a worship. And we want us to, you know, just like when you have a baby, um, you don't want that baby to stay a baby. Well, Maybe you're weird and you do, but you, you want to see that child grow up and you want to feed that child and see that, that child come to maturity and ultimately have children of their own when you have kids. That's kind of the big deal. It's getting to be a, a grandpa one day, you know, that you get to see your kids have kids. And, um, and you want to see them raise up in maturity. Well, God wants the same thing for you and for I. He wants to see us grow up in spiritual, in, in spiritual maturity with Him. We need to begin to learn the, the practices and the principles that God would call us to do. When we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, we begin to understand that there are, there are things that He's given us in His Word that allow us to live life to glorify Him. Not that we would continue to just live in sin the way we used to, but now that we have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, we begin to grow and mature in Him. We begin to to, to do things like um, like pray and study God's word and 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 tithe and fast and all this churchy stuff that sometimes we we focus on more than anything else. But um, but we want people to begin to to learn the practices and principles of God. So so that's that's really the basis. We just said we want to be a church that loves people with grace. And next thing we said is we want to live for Jesus, but we also want to love others because the next part of that commandment was in Matthew 22 as it says he's talking about the greatest commandment 
But then Jesus says in verse 39, he says, and the second is like it. The second command is a lot like the first. And it says this, love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 40, it says, all the prophets, all the law and the prophets hang on these two, two commands. So the two greatest commands are love God, love others. So we're going to live for Jesus and we're going to love others. Now, I ate at a restaurant um, this last, last week and we were all hungry. We had like a football game with my son and we all piled into this restaurant. They were about to close and um, we ordered some barbecue and my, um, my, my father-in-law, he ordered some ribs and they were pretty nasty. They were kind of gross. So like, he's like, Jay, do you want these ribs? Cause he thinks I'll eat anything. Thanks a lot, dad. So, um, so I get these ribs and I'm trying them and usually I can eat pretty much anything, but they were bad. They like taste like they've been sitting under a heat lamp for like five days. I mean, it just was bad. And I'm like, dad, these are disgusting. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I thought they were gross too. So I go up to the counter and they go, excuse me, ma'am. These ribs are disgusting. <laughs> and uh, I go, I, I, I know I, I usually love your barbecue here, but these ribs, they're nasty. And uh, they, they really taste like they're, oh, I didn't really say nasty. I said, they're just not very good. Is there, can we get a plate of something else? And she was like so offended. She's like, she's like we're, they were trying to close. And they're like, we just, we're cleaning up the kitchen already. Sorry. And I was like, listen, this. I look up at the menu, it was like $13 for a plate of ribs. And I'm like, this, you know, this was $13. Maybe a few people who are rich, $13 is not a lot of money. You just, you bathe in money, you know, when those kind of people. But $13 is a lot of money. So we said, this is, you know, this is really not okay. And she's like, well, I'm sorry. She's like, if you had come to me later, like five minutes ago, before we started cleaning the kitchen, it wouldn't be a problem. But right now, it's a problem. And, and I'm sorry, I just can't do anything about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what, this lady's crazy. And I was like, well... Could you maybe like, I don't know, maybe give me a, a voucher for another plate? And then she just like went off. That was it. It was like, voucher? You want a voucher? <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, you, you know, why don't you eat those disgusting ribs? You know, she just flipped out. She was so mean. And so my wife kind of gets in the picture because my wife is one of those. She's better at fighting than I am. I'm like too nice. I'm like, okay, you know, I want to, I just want to be friends with you. <laughs> Can I give you a hug now? You know? And, uh, but my wife's like, no, 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 this is not going to work. You know? So she comes up to the counter and she's like, listen, lady. And, uh, <laughs> and she, she was like, I'm not joking. This, this lady, she was basically yelling at us, and then she finally just stormed back in the kitchen, and she wrote a voucher. And she's like, "Here, you just have your voucher." And my wife's like, "Well, I'm going to call your manager." You know, so it was like it was just this big drama. It was ridiculous. But I don't know if you've ever been into a restaurant and thought this is the most unfriendly place I've ever been. These people do not know they don't they don't want to serve me food. They they feel like uh, I, I owe them. You ever felt like that? Like you go and you buy something, and it's like, oh, here you are to buy something again. I guess I'm going to have to serve you. Give me your money. Come on. You know, it's, you, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but um, that's sometimes how people experience church. It's insane. But people experience church that way. They go to church and, then, and like no one's welcoming them and friendly to them. I remember I visited several churches before we actually started Sunday services. We went into this one church, big church. No one said hi to us. We got a family. We're dragging like this train of kids, and maybe that's why I didn't say anything to us. We've got like this train of people, and we're like, we don't know where to go. Like, we didn't know where to take our kids. And no one would speak to us. Everybody's like, hey, yeah, 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 ja-, you know, jabbing with each other. And we're like, hey, we're, we're new here. And they're like, oh, you're going to need to go over to the desk over there, the visitor. Didn't you see the sign that says visitors over there? Oh, sorry. You know, I didn't see the sign that says visitors. So we'll go over to the visitor area. There's nobody there. 
So, so, but, and it was like these people didn't want us there. And people, but this is, this is not just a unusual church experience. I know that sounds crazy, but you might have even been a person who's walked into churches before and people were not friendly. They were on the clique. They were their own club. They were their own deal. And they had already had enough people to love. And so they're like, look, we've got enough customers and we just don't want any more people to love. We can barely love the people that we got. So if you could just stay away, that would be good. You know, this is, this is the mentality of some churches. But we say we want to be a church that we really do want to love and embrace everyone. That no matter what your past, present, uh, or your future, we want to uh, give you an opportunity to know God. And we want to love you where you are. And so because we need loving where we are. Because I, I can mess up and I can make mistakes and I can be a jerk and I can be mean. And so we need to love each other. And um, one of the ways that we've said we want to continue to be a church that loves each other is, is we understand that you cannot love people properly in a Sunday morning one-hour experience just doesn't happen so we said from the very beginning we even started our church with groups a lot of my buddy friends who are pastors and starting churches they're like i can't wait to get my sunday up we're gonna go preaching and playing music like it's gonna be awesome i'm like man you know what i want to go build relationships he's like well we'll do that later but i want to go preach and play music okay go have fun you know and then so that's what they would do they would just go preach and play music and their church is about a one-hour experience on sunday but I said from the very beginning, that was not how we were going to do things. And it's not been. We said we're going to build relationships. We're going to be an extended family. We're going to love people. We're going to love people in homes. We're going to meet in homes. We're going to meet in the community. We're going to love on the community. We're going to, um, we will have Sunday morning services so we continue to teach God's word and worship together and things like that. But it's not going to be just about Sunday. And there are pastors who will say, it's all about Sunday, stupid. And I, I say, no, it's all about relationships, stupid. Read it in the Bible. Jesus says, love others, idiots. So, um, <laughs> Um, so I, I'm sorry, that's just, that's me. But, um, so we said, we want to, we want to start community groups and listen, I, I have to be honest with you. Um, I sometimes make mistakes and so I don't communicate things well. So what I did is I made you a little community group handout. I want everyone to pull that out right now because sometimes the things that are supposed to come out of my mouth don't come out of my mouth. And so I want you to have it in your hands so you can read it. Um, but if you got a packet, if you don't, um, well, sorry. So, um, go grab one. And, and what, uh, a community group is, 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 is how we live outside of a Sunday morning experience. It's how we meet with together with people in homes. It's how we do church. Uh, what I truly believe is church, uh, in the homes. And so once again, that continuing of building relationships and being family outside of that. One of the things that, uh, again, I'm, I'm admitting my own faults. We've, we've probably made this thing called community group more confusing than we have um, uh, easy and, and, and simple. And so I wanted to, to put it in a way that hopefully was simple enough and that, that everyone could understand it. And um, here's, here's basically the basis of a community group. Um, we, we meet in two places. We meet in the home most every week. Uh, not all groups will meet every week, but most groups will meet every week in the home. We always usually eat around a meal because uh, in the Bible, there's a lot of eating. We, I like to eat. We like to eat. So why not eat, right? So so we eat in the home. We all do potlucks. We gather together. Uh, we eat. There's, a, there's just a sense of fellowship and a sense of um, community when you eat with people. Isn't that true? And so we, we do that in the home, and we, um, we'll do what we call a low-barrier Bible study. In other words, if you came in and you visited at any point, in time, 
you wouldn't feel like you had missed out on the last six months. Like, oh, we're in the last session uh, of this thing, and you've missed everything. So you might as well just leave. You know, so we're not going to do that. It's going to be an opportunity where anyone can come in at any time. And, here, and we also are going to meet in, in the community in neighbor, or in a neighborhood or something like that, one, like once a month or almost once a month or seasonally. And here's what we're going to do. This, the idea is this, is that the groups aren't just cliquish groups because if you just put people together in a house, they can become cliques. Oh, we just get to know our little friends and um, we just get to be buddies. Listen, I was on staff at a church. Not, this, is not, this is a very sad story. I was on staff at a church. I was a youth pastor of a church. And it was a big church. And um, we went to this Sunday school. They didn't call it Sunday school class, but it was Sunday school class. They called it uh, adult fellowship hour or something stupid like that. Anyway, so we went to this thing and we, they had small groups that met in the homes. And so we asked this family, we're like, Hey, you know, we're just new here. I'm on staff. I'm the youth pastor. And, um, we're looking for a small group. And, she, and I'm not joking. The leader of the small group says, well, you know, we've already got like five families. We're pretty full. Um, you probably should, why don't you go talk to Jenny? Go talk to Jenny. Okay. Um, all right, thanks. Um, so we go talk to Jenny, and Jenny's like, you know, we we have a lot of kids, and we you you might want to go talk to the to the director. I just talked to the director. She told me to talk to you, and I'm not joking. We went to three people trying to find somebody to let us in. They're smart, and no one would let us in. They're like, we have our friends, and you're not a part of it, you know. And that that was that's basically what they said. And so that is not what we're going to do. We're going to meet people who are always welcoming new people. And we're actively pursuing new people. We're going to do once a month, we're going to do some kind of connect event in the community. There's a whole list of fun stuff that's happening. Uh, Chick-fil-A night, uh, backyard movie on your little um, announcement sheet, uh, lunch at Anita's, and then the ice cream station. And those are opportunities for us to do two things. We're going to invite people who are disconnected from the church and people who are disconnected from God. Because we're going to begin to be people who are constantly reaching out and sharing grace with others. We're going to actually love people and not become cliques. So here's what we say we're about. We're about connecting um, with, with other people in the church, doing life together. We're about growing as followers of Jesus in those groups. We're going to care for one another like a big extended family. And we're going to serve each other and serve outside of our group, serve our neighbors, serve our community in that way. And then we're going to reach out to those disconnected from the church and disconnected from God. I want to read you a letter that um, a lady just recently um, uh, wrote for me because she got plugged into our, her family got plugged into a community group and listen to the difference that it made for her. Over the past few years, my family has experienced many challenges. As a road proved rocky, we found ourselves pulling further away from God and sheltering ourselves from those that could provide the support we needed to stay focused. We were blessed to find the well nearly two years ago. My husband and I immediately felt the genuine caring within the church. What we didn't open ourselves up to, however, were the more intimate relationships that can be developed in a small group setting or community group. We found ourselves attending service and connecting superficially, but not building the network necessary to cushion us from the blows that life sometimes delivers. Needless to say, the next punch came not all that long ago. We found ourselves struggling to sustain our family of six after my husband lost his job. This time, though, the Lord threw us a life raft. A member of the church reached out for no reason other than noticing our absence from service and said, Hey, we've missed you guys. How have you been? Ordinarily, as much as I hate to admit it, I would have lied. I would have said, 
we're fine. I didn't though. Not this time. I simply said, we've missed y'all too. Honestly, we've been going through a tough time and I've pulled away from everyone. That reply, the reply that came was simple. I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything we can do? We'd like to love you through it. To me, that was striking. Wow, someone who hardly knows us wants to love us through the darkness. For that outreach, I'm forever grateful. Since that time, our gracious friend has visited our home, invited us into a small group, and prayed with us repeatedly. Through our small group, we have developed a network of prayer partners who pray for us and for whom we pray. And since that time, the Lord has blessed our family in ways we could not have dreamed possible, providing a peace that comes from a circle of friends who love and care for one another in the name of Jesus. Isn't that cool? So for those of you who have loved on that family, thank you. Thank you, because that's what we're about. We're about living for Jesus, and in response to living for Jesus, we love others. The third thing that, that we said is live, love, and serve. Is that we, we say we, we're going to serve our world because we, in response to the love of Jesus, we love others, but then we realize that there's this bigger picture, this bigger purpose and mission that God has us for. And it's not just us just being good little Christians or in our own little bubbles, but it's, it's about this, um, this heart that God has for the world, this heart that God has for the lost and for the broken. And so we, we want to engage in the mission of God by serving the lost, the broken, and the forgotten. Um, and the Great Commission, uh, which I read to you in the beginning, which was Matthew 28, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. It's the sense of going and making it's this sense of, of, of reaching out. And so that's what our church is going to be. That's, that's what your life should be about. And teaching others to obey the commands that, that God's given us. Um, listen to what Matthew twenty twenty eight says. Talking about Jesus, it says, The Son of Man, which is Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we said from the beginning that our church, we want, this is how we shine the light and the fire and the love of Jesus is by being servants, by being people who are willing to take up, uh, to, to die to our own selves and die to our own rights, begin to put others before ourselves and, and do things for the community. When, when we started the church, we were, we had lived here for about two months. We lived, moved here like middle of August. Um, we decided we wanted to do something for the community. We had like five or six families at the time that were kind of joining together to be a part of the church. We said, we're going to do this thing called, we're going to feed people on Thanksgiving. And we thought, man, this is going to be incredible. We began to partner with local organizations in the, in the community. They began helping us, and other churches began helping us. And before we knew it, we had this huge event called the Thanksgiving Feast for All. And we fed, I think that first year, we fed about 200 people or so who were, who were needy families uh, right in City Park. Over the last three years, now this will be our fourth time doing this, um, we're going to be feeding families over Thanksgiving. This is an opportunity for you as a person uh, or as a family to say, hey, here's my opportunity to, sh- to share the love of Jesus in a very practical way by loving on people, by feeding people, um, by, by serving the community. And what this says is so oftentimes, and you know, the church just seems like a, a, a place that sits on the corner. It's this place that has a, maybe a steeple or it's this place that, you know, they see people there on Sunday morning. That's not the kind of church I want to be. I want to be a church that, that the community sees us because we're in the community doing things for the community. 
So we've, we've said from the very beginning, we want to be active and out serving and sharing the love of Jesus uh, in, act, in, in practical ways, that we would, we would just unleash this culture of generosity in our church, that people are being generous with not just their, their finances, but with their time with serving and helping those who are in need and, and making our, the place that we live a better place, helping marriages that are in need of trouble, helping children that need help, helping families that need help. So for those of you who didn't know, um, we, we are doing this Thanksgiving Feast for All. We do it at a place called Center for Community Services, who's one of our strategic partners. I met with them this last week. Uh, they're a great organization. They're just a nonprofit who, who helps um, people in a lot of different ways. And so we're, we're going to do it there. And, in fact, we just raised, by doing summer movie nights, we just raised $1,000. We just sent a check to them this last week, $1,000 for um, for their uh, food bank. So you guys were a part of doing that. For those of you who served in movies in the park, thank you. That's what we're about. We're about serving and making a difference in the community. You want to know why? Because I think that's what Jesus would do. Because I believe there's a world who, who desperately needs him. And they need to see people who are living for Jesus and loving others and serving and being on mission for him. Not just being people who just show up on Sunday morning and sit in a seat and then disappear and go live their own lives. They need to see people actively seeking actively working for the sake of God. That's the church. Church, the definition of church is not the building with the steeple. The definition of church is the, is the activity, the people of God, serving God and, and actively involved in the mission of God. That's what we want to be. We want to be people who, you can say it with me, love, what do you say? Love what? Love others, right? Or I guess I should say live first. <laughs> I don't even know my own slogan. Um, it's live for who? Jay. No, oh, it was Jesus, sorry. Live for Jesus, right? Love others and serve our world. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So hopefully you remember that. Um, I've got three practical steps for you. All right, easy as one, two, three. You can remember that, right? Easy as one, two, three. I want you to be connected. And if this is for people who are involved in the church, and if you're not involved, we, we want to get you plugged in. But if you want to be a part of the family of the well, first thing you can do, one, two, three, one, Get plugged into one community group. Pretty easy. Two, we'd love for you to be serving in two places. Serving in the community and serving the church. Whether that be children's ministry, um, whether that be in, um, being a greeter or you know helping and connect lunches, whatever you might do, sound, tech, um, something like that. We'd love for you to be serving in the church. And then three, as we would love for you to be praying for three people who you know are disconnected from the church or disconnected from God. Just begin praying for them. Ask that God would give you a heart for them and find a way to share your life with them and ultimately share your story about Jesus and the difference he can make in their life. So easy as one, two, three, right? Can we do that? I hope so. I pray so that as a church, we would be that type of people. Uh, I know it sounds, maybe it sounds kind of easy, but it's not. And what my challenge is to you is that this this is not just a church goal. I would say make this your personal goal. If you're a person who's not living for Jesus right now, that you would surrender your life to Him and live for Him. If you're a person who's having difficulty loving other people in your family, loving other people, that you would remember the second and greatest commandment, that Jesus would call you to love others. And thirdly, maybe you're following God, but you're not following in the mission of God, that you would wake up and engage in His mission and begin serving and reaching those who are far from Him. Let's pray.